Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. One of the things within the, the military that we use a lot in terminology is called running towards the fire. You know, and, and fight or flight comes into play in those types of situations. But out here in the private sector, you also have very similar situations. You have individuals that may seek problems and go after them right away and try to help out and and do everything within their power to make things right. And so they rush or they look for opportunities that are available out there so they can help the organization improve. All the time within the military, of course, you know, uh, AJ, you're still on active duty. You're seeking those opportunities for promotion. So r- rather than going out there and, and looking for your next role, really it's about trying to, to find ways in which you can add value back to the organization, whether it's within the military outside of it, so that you can you know, pro- prove what your value is and what your worth is so that they see that, they see that what you've done, and they start seeing that you're capable of handling maybe additional responsibilities you see the broader picture you're not just looking very narrowly focused at things i think that really comes with experience um as you go up in rank you you learn what you can do and can't do and as a younger individual in the military you just don't really know you you go off of what your supervisor says right but i can speak from experience that Seeking those opportunities, it opens a lot of doors, but also as you rank up, you want to be able to work at the at the rank above you. Not just because you want to seek that promotion or you want to uh, do something to 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 get that promotion, but you know, you want to show that you deserve it. So if you're an E5, you should be working as an E6 to show that you do deserve that and that you can do the responsibilities. Um, we have the enlisted force structure in the Air Force. I don't know what's the equivalent for you guys, where it outlines what each rank is supposed to do and their responsibilities. So, you know, just taking the time to read that and work on the level above is definitely going to put you ahead of your peers. You know, that's one of the great things, actually, that the military does have that human resources within the private sector is not caught up on. And that is, as you just described it, that way of knowing, it, where do I stack up against my peers? 
you know, uh, education wise, you know, training wise, experience wise, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the whole bit of it, whether that's in the case of military, it's military education as well as civilian, civilian education, the private sector, it would just be civilian education, but they don't know that. So that's a, to your point, that's a great advantage that you have that's readily available so that you know where you are right now with your peers and what you should be working on to make even better improvements. You know, hey, Robert, I think part of that, um, it has to do with being junior in the corporate world and also junior in the military is uh, having some perspective. But I think a lot of folks um, skip over the whole fact that you have to be the master at your craft. Seems like a lot of junior people will go straight to, I should be in charge. I want to be in charge. I want to mm-hmm. lead people. And and you can't lead people. I mean, you can yell at them and you can tell them to do it and you can be draconian, but you can't actually be effective and actually have a good reputation unless you are the master of your craft. And and unfortunately, you see that a lot. Um, you're great at telling people what to do, um, but if you can't pick up the wrench and show them, hey, this is the correct way to do it or computer or whatever you know your MOS or your specialty is, if you are not a master at your craft, you're going to have a really, really hard time being a leader. Um, you know, now people do it, but everybody knows that it's kind of a big ruse. You know, they know it's they know it's false, and so they may impress a few people for a short amount of time, but they're not going to get any staying power. Well, I think the military kind of fosters that environment because when you're looking at at promotion, it's always about. I mean, in my opinion, it's never about your job, which I've always was frustrated with, you know, it's always about what are you doing extra and what are you Mm -hmm. doing as, you know, they always want these leadership bullets and whatever, but you're right. I mean, I've always been like, you, you should be the expert at your job. You should be the go-to person that people go to, you know, with whatever it is that you're doing before you're worrying about anything else, because you see all these people who spend their time doing all this extra stuff and they're, they're not the master of their job. (laughs) They're great at volunteering and going to school and whatever yeah. else, but but that's you know but that's what the military fosters is when you look at those those bullet points when they're doing their their ranking boards they want to know oh you know are you in school or are you doing whatever for voluntary work and it's never about the job and that's I've always had issues with that. <laughs> I think disconnect is yes we we have the whole airman concept, but you can go to school and do all these extracurricular activities. What are you doing? that brings what you're learning back to your job. So I think that's where we need to bridge that, where go to school and, hey, I took a, uh, a science class and he taught me like the footprint of the environment. So now maybe when I go to work, um, I can learn how to save brass better or you know, to minimize our footprint as a unit. Um, but I don't think we're really capturing that. And I agree with you, Nikki, because I don't know why, but it shouldn't be a requirement. And I that that's what it's come down to. Everybody wants, Hey, we want well, well-rounded soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, whatever. So everybody goes out of the way to do all these super extracurricular activities because they're fun and they're easy. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's like 70% peripheral stuff and uh, they're skipping the 30% of the, of the, the skills. And like Nikki said, the stuff that actually matters. Um, and unfortunately you get a lot of that and it happens the same way in business in the corporate world. You may have somebody who's entirely inept, but if they talk a good game and they look really good in a uniform or a suit, then they're automatically an awesome leader and a top performer. I got to admit, that's actually true. Um, Well, let me look at it a different way, too, because I'm curious, Nikki, with you being both enlisted and as an officer, and then you look within the private sector individuals who are very 
you know, focused on a specific career field and then they start advancing up. It's somewhat the same way in that as you become an officer, you're going to be leading departments, functions, skills that are going to be not necessarily um, the exact same thing, but similar. So you may go, let's say if you're in the medical field, you may end up going down a track that takes you to where you're now in charge of many different specialties. So you can't be the the master of all of those and stuff. You got to be more of a a jack of all trades kind of individual. And much is the same thing within the private sector. You may go in an area uh, that say finance or communications or something like that, but you may not be a specialist in each individual one. So as you begin to go up, things are going to change very, very differently, right? Because you're mm-hmm. going to have to be more broader in your knowledge. You may not know it where you can pick up the ha- uh, the hammer or the wrench, but you know good and well that it requires some kind of tool to get it done. And you're going to go to your subject matter experts uh, to, to find out what that route is. Yeah, it usually would work that way. The medical community is a little bit more unique in that aspect, though, because, yes, there's the there's the military part where they want you to go into the leadership roles and, you know, take over a division or a department. But I'm still a nurse and I'm still expected to know how to be a nurse as well. So if yeah. I'm, you know, if I have that critical care ER background, if I get deployed, that's how I'm probably going to get deployed as is, is that emergency medicine nurse. But yet I've been doing all of this admin work for the last however many years. And now I find myself in this deployed deployed environment where now I'm expected to be an emergency medicine nurse. And we saw a lot of problems with that um, during OEF and OIF with the nurses out there. You know, we're sending these 04, 05s. And they go out there and they're expected to get into the thick of things in the, you know, roll two hospitals or whatever. And, you know, they were having a hard time because they'd been away from the bedside for so long. So, hmm. but yeah, there is an expectation once you hit uh, lieutenant or 03 for the Navy, they want you to start taking over divisions and departments because, again, that's how you get promoted, which, again, you know, takes you away from what you're actually there for, your job. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not really sure how to fix that, but it's, you know, a problem, I think, with the promotion systems. Well, the old school way of uh, management, quite frankly, is seeking individuals that came up and came from the mailroom all the way up through the channels and ranks and stuff and kind of paid your dues kind of route, you know, will pay major dividends because if you're seen as the subject matter expert and the individual that's adding a lot of value back to the organization, it's going to keep paying dividends as you move along. That doesn't necessarily mean though that you have management and leadership skills. And that's where a lot of the times things fall off or whatever, where individuals get promoted when they don't need to be promoted. Same thing happens within the military. You know, uh, people tell me that leaders are not born, they're they're developed. Well, somebody failed to develop these individuals, if that's the case. I still believe in, in a lot of ways that um, you are born with certain skill sets or you learn them at a very young age of how to be a manager or a leader. And if not, it's going to be harder as an adult to try to acquire those. But then there's also those that look very polished, like Mike was talking about. They fit the mold. They know the right people, Mm -hmm. all of those types of things. And luck then plays a role in you get the right assignments. You get the right, um, you know, bosses and everything that write your OERs the right way or NCOERs the right way in which you get promoted over your peers because you were at the right place at the right time. And the private sector is no different. But you know when those types crumble, the ones we're talking about that got there because they look good in the uniform or they talk the right game, 
they always crumble when true pressure hits every mm -hmm. single time. Yes. And, and, and then you can't hide behind it anymore. So that's probably yeah. rampant the same way in corporate world. Well, when I was talking about running towards the fire, uh, fire a bit, that's being the problem solver. And so if you don't know how to solve the problem, to your point, Mike, or at least rally a team and be a leader in way that you can find the subject matter experts and use them to your advantage or to the organization's advantage, or, where they're motivated by what you're, you know, how you're leading and everything else, then yeah, it's going to fall short too. So you don't necessarily have to know yourself how to do these, but you you damn well better know how to be a good manager and how to create teams and for teams to be inspired by your leadership and what you're trying to lay out there, or no one's going to be following what you're, you're trying to, to do. And the, the problems are going to end up manifesting even bigger than what they are. You're going to get exposed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think it also comes down to, you see all these people that maybe they shouldn't be where they're at. But at the end of the day, we should be worrying about ourselves. What can I do to better myself? What can I do to take charge of my career? What can I do to X, Y, Z? Um, and worry about what we can reach and what we can control. Because at the end of the day, we can't control how they promote or who they promote, but we can't control what we do, how we think, how we feel. But what if you're in these types of situations, like I found myself one time where you had the type of individual that you described there, Mike, who had been at the right place at the right time, probably knew very well um, that person's responsibilities when they were in a specific role, yet got promoted. And as they got promoted and moved along, they were out of their element, so to speak. I mean, now they were controlling a lot more of responsibilities within an organization than they ever had. And the reason why they were placed there is because the individual that they worked for in the past helped promote them into the current role, right? And so this person lacked teamwork capabilities and skill sets. They didn't know how to build teams and foster them. They didn't know anything about um, a lot of the skills or jobs within the organization that they now are controlling. So what they ended up doing is now leading or managing by fear and using a toxic environment in a way to hide their insecurities and the things that they're weak at so that they can make you do what you're supposed to do to make them look good. You know what they say about a dictatorship, though? It's the most effective form of leadership, but it's got a really finite, short shelf life. People will only put up with it for a short amount of time. Well, here's the question, though. How long does it take before the senior leaders expose that or before the individuals start exposing them? Because I, you may say that, but I know in, in this particular case, that leader is not only thrive, but has grown even larger and I see that quite often as well. So it's the people below them may be trying to expose them and trying to make it you know, difficult, but they are also not wanting to lose their own job. But the people above them still haven't figured that out yet. Senior leadership may never be exposed to it. it he may just look, he or she may just look like a hero forever because you're right. Subordinates, they, they, it's like the movies. They, they want to say bad things about him or her. They want them exposed. But at the same time, they're not willing to risk their own productivity and their own job to do that. So, so the job consistently gets done and done to standard. And so there's no reason for CEO leadership to look any further down than you know their guy that they've appointed, who apparently is making it all happen. Um, there's not an easy answer to that. It just happens. It happens everywhere. But there's, there's no easy answer to it. Um, and really, corporate-wise, and it happens in the military too, you can't be that one person who goes to your company commander, division head, or CEO, and says, this guy is screwing this all up, and it's horrible for everybody. 
because now you're just one guy who's complaining when nobody else is. You may represent the entire command, but you're only one person. So I used to a lot like that's kind of like I was never really afraid to call people out and I would I would be that person. I, I didn't mind being that person, but I'd always say, you know, I can't be the only person doing this because then I just look like I'm complaining or bitching about whatever, you know, I got to have backup. Like I have no problems being, you know, the forefront of this, but there needs to be people behind me that are backing me up too. Otherwise, you know, it's like, Oh, she's just complaining. Who mm-hmm. cares what she says? <laughs> well, yeah. most of the time that's what people wait for is they wait for the person to step out there. And then the reaction that management is going to take with you as the person who stepped out there. So if they look like they're receptive, okay, yeah, I'm having the same problem as Nikki. If it looks like they're going to come down on you or they're not paying attention, you're out there on an island, Nikki, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) So in the military, it was, you know, easy because, you know, you would typically, when you found yourself in that situation, obviously, as um, AJ mentioned, you control your own destiny. You you should at least, and you could try to. You can only focus on the things that you can't control. So what you do is you wait for that individual um, to get promoted. And if you can help them get promoted because you're doing your job and it looks good, and they get promoted and they then PCS, great. Or you just wait for them to eventually mm-hmm. do their time within um, that unit and they PCS or UPCS. And it's usually one of those situations that over a time of two to three years, one of you are going to move, if not sooner. In the private sector, though, if you're listening to this and you're finding yourself in that situation, it's time maybe for a different job in a different company. And maybe, you know, you need to assess whether you want to remain in that toxic environment or, and if you can't do something about it and you find yourself in a situation like Nikki just mentioned, where you're out there on an island, it's time then to look for other opportunities elsewhere. You can't yeah. fix it within your own organization. No one's listening. Now, it does happen in organizations, business and the military. But the way it happens is when projects start failing, when tasks start failing mm-hmm. in, a, in a healthy organization with a good team environment, uh, a leader is protected um, because he or she always protects his people. And, and they know that. But when things start falling through the cracks, um, in a good organization, they insulate the leader and they support them and they're like, hey, we'll, we'll get it done. In a toxic organization where, you know, there's one person being a dictator, once one task fails, the leadership looks at that. Once two or three or four times they start failing, then they start looking beyond because that team is in no way, shape or form ever going to support that leader. And that's when it's kind of, if you were to picture it, that's when they stand back and just let the walls crumble around them. Um, so that's kind of the price that a toxic leader pays for not being compassionate and nurturing and understanding um, with his or her team. So it happens, but it takes a little bit of time for things to start failing. Um, you know, productivity drops off or tasks aren't getting completed to standard or whatever the case may be. Um, it happens, but it takes a little bit of while. It takes a little while for the leadership to start putting two and two together and finding out where the point of failure is. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't only have to be a toxic leader. It could be an incompetent leader where they got promoted, they got put in that position they're trying their best and they do want to help everybody out and they're just not in the right position. Now, as a team, we can't let him fail either because if he fails, we fail. And if, say, I felt like I deserved that position, hey, I'm going to help him out and try to help him succeed. You're a good person then, AJ. Because I, <laughs> I don't know that everybody has that, shares that sentiment. Cause I mean, well, it's not fair. Like, I... I mean, and I and I compare it to being an instructor with my team. Uh, we have eight people, and I know it's really small, and it doesn't compare to like an actual uh, security forces squadron where there's about a hundred people. But 
if somebody gets promoted because they tested well, good on them, you know, but I'm also going to help them out because I would want to be helped out. You know, if I, when I go back to the regular career field, if an A1C knows or an E3 knows more than I do and I'm an E6 by then, I'm going to have him help them out, like help, help me out because they've been there longer than I have. And there's nothing wrong with helping each other out both ways. You can't always expect the leaders to, to lead us. No, I, and I, I think that's uh, very commendable that you end up doing that. And I think if you're a good leader, then um, you'll find people and you'll seek out individuals that are subject matter experts in that area and actually help train you up to a level to where you can manage them, quite frankly, or you can help lead them. And so that's what you're saying. Maybe that person is a good person. Um, otherwise, it's just the wrong fit for right now, but there may be a right fit later on. But what if you've really got a bad situation where you have an individual who's not just the right fit? They're just the wrong person for that rank, for that role, those responsibilities. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's time to help that person move along in some yeah, way. But you, Robert, you know, backing up just a little bit, if you're a good person and you lead with compassion, like take a brand new lieutenant or a very junior NCO, they do not know anything. They know what's been taught doctrinally Definitely. and in school. That's yeah. all they know. Yes. And so my best lieutenants who are dumb as a box of rocks, they came in and they said, hey, chief, I don't really know what I'm doing. Help me out and I'll promise I'll take care of you. And all that entails. And they did. And a whole bunch of senior officers completely took care of them, even though they were not very good leaders. That's one way that it works out perfect. Knowing your limitations and being compassionate and, you know, and not being a jerk. The other one is where a junior leader comes in and thinks that they understand all the concepts. They can't go toe to toe with someone who's been doing it for 20 years, but they're, they don't insulate. They don't take care of anybody. They're not courteous or compassionate. Um, well, when push comes to shove, we're going to throw you to the sharks every single time. And that is instinctively a military thing for people to do. We are going to let you fail miserably. In fact, we might even help you do it. Mm hmm. That's what I was saying with AJ. But see, AJ has a situation where she felt compassion, empathy for the individual. She feels like it's a good person, you know, otherwise, right? If they're trying, if they're just being jerks and just being a dictator, I'm just going to not waste my time. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you a lesson from many years ago where a lieutenant came in, a West Pointer, you know, he he thought he was doing all the right things. He was actually just causing more problems. And so um, an E6 came along, put him back in his place. He didn't like that too well because it was an E6. And, he, you know, he's a butter bar. He feels like he has that authority. So he goes up to the CEO and tells the CEO, hey, listen, I've got a problem with my uh, platoon and everything. I've got this E6 that was just totally out of line. The CEO listened to him and said, listen, if you ever want to make captain, you're going to go back down there and you're going to listen to those NCOs and put up with everything they're going to tell you because you'll never make it here if you don't listen to them there and so that yeah. was a good hard lesson that not a lot of people in early management understand you know i think i mean there's a difference with somebody who like mike was saying that knows their limitations and they know what they you know that they don't know everything and they they do ask for help but then you have the people that are just incompetent leaders and they shouldn't be in those positions and when you're talking the military and you're your job is, you know, to go overseas or to deploy into war zones. They're just, that's a danger. Now you're mm -hmm. putting people's lives at risk. So if, if they're not cutting it in the military, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. This just means that's they're not for the military. Yeah, <laughs> they need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And we can help it's them a different way. Like, I can help you to get out. Well, <laughs> Nikki, Nikki absolutely hit it on the head. If you're, 
if you're washing trucks stateside, that's one thing. We could take time to, you know, nurture, mentor, all kind of stuff. But if you're doing something where people's lives are at stake, and I have said yeah. several times, they're like, yeah, you know, he's not so good. He's not really such a good shooter, but he's a cool dude. I'm like, you know what? Last time I checked, we didn't have any cool dudes assigned to our MTO, you know, yeah. or, or our manning list. We, I don't see cool dude on there anywhere. He's a great guy to drink beer with. And that's a hard call as a leader. You know, you have to make that distinction. Yeah, everybody may love him or her, but if you're a douchebag and you're going to put the the unit at risk or you're really toxic, you got to go. I mean, that's that's one of those hard leader calls. You can't recognize that your um, the way you're doing things is is causing problems amongst your unit. Then you need you need to go. I mean, you're not an effective leader because I think leaders don't know everything, but they know you know what they don't know. I guess so, and they know who to reach out for help. But you're, and they're open to that. You're stating that in a way in which the individual is going to recognize that. I, I know individuals that never recognize that. Or if they did, they didn't want to admit it. Um, and, and instead, what they wanted to do is play the game so they can then get promoted right. and move on. Right. And they need to go. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Those oh, type yeah. of people need to go. The ones that I think that the effective leaders, the good leaders are the ones that know their limitations. Yeah. And they work on it. Earlier, you had mentioned, AJ, about you can only focus on yourself and there's some things that you can do to help yourself. So I want to talk a minute about some of those things. You know, what, what is it that you can do? We talked earlier about kind of running towards the fire, looking for the problems in the situations that may be bad out there and trying to help fix them. Obviously if you have somebody up the chain that's causing you these issues, you may not be able to fix that as we just talked about. But if you see that there are things that are going on that are within your control or Go up one level if you were an E6, if you're an E5, or if you, even if you were an E7. Hey, listen, I see a way in which we can improve upon this. In most cases, people within your command are going to listen to the ideas and improvements that you're talking about, especially if it betters the whole. And, and especially now within a combat situation where it, back when it was a garrison, you know, Cold War era military, it was much different. You can now point to the facts of what you guys just uh, brought up in that, hey, listen, this is okay for right here, right now. But when we go down there and bullets start flying, it's a whole nother game here. And so these are the things that we can do to fix and correct this right now. We're seen as leading indicators before we get out there and this type of uh, situation manifests itself. So what are those things that you can do around you that you can control or that you can offer as opportunities um, for correction, I think is a key thing that you can help within your leadership to demonstrate, again, your value back to that organization. Well, the way I see it is you can do two things. You can either speak up or stay quiet. Um, speak up, talk to your supervisor. You know, this has occurred. This has occurred. I don't know what we can do to fix it, but maybe this idea that I thought of could help. Or you can just stay quiet and wait until that person moves on. Um, I think those are really your two options. Now, it depends um, how that individual is and the maturity level that you have. You know, how many times has everyone heard in their organization, this unit's a sinking ship, you know, I hate coming to work, blah, blah, blah. And, and I've heard that. I'm like, I can't do anything. I don't know why I bother because I'm, I'm not going to change this entire squadron or, you know, company or whatever. And I've had a discussion, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know what? I got it. Yes, you're right. One person is not going to affect a 400-person unit. I'm like, but, I said, how about you just take care of the sphere of influence that you have control over? How about yes. you just make your office of five people not suck? That's a start. Yep. Because you're going into your office and whining about how much everything sucks. Well, now you've just been toxic to Adding those other to five. It. 
And those five people are going to go piss off another 10 people. I'm like, you know what? I got it. We're on a downside right now. You know, things aren't going right. Post-deployment, everybody's irritable. But just just take care of the little circle that you have control over and try not to get overwhelmed by the big sphere of everything else. You know, I mean, focus, it's not really a, it's not a glass is half full. It's just, you can only control so much, you know? And so each one of us, even as an officer, even a senior officer, you only have influence over so much around you. So just pick your little part. I mean, it sounds kind of idealistic, but if everybody's just taking care of their little five or 10 person office, at least that's, you know, that's something that's better than not doing it. It's better than going around bitching all day long. Yes. Yeah, that's I excellent completely advice. agree. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And I think, you know, John C. Maxwell wrote a really good book called The 360 Degree Leader. I don't know if you guys have ever yes. read that. It's actually a really good book where it talks about try to influence not only down, but influence sideways and up. And if you mm-hmm. can do that within that sphere of what you're talking about, Mike, and the five, maybe it's not just the five that you control down. Maybe it's you are having some influence sideways with peers so we can get some people to step out with you on when you step out in that island, Nikki, that you're not alone, or maybe even better, you can influence one or two people up the where you can make difference and changes within specific areas to make another five people's life that much better. So some of the things that we talked about is of course, focusing on the things that you can actually control. Um, and as a manager, you know, where you can make a difference or as an individual where you can make a difference, go out there and look for those opportunities to try to prove your value within the organization. I'm talking primarily whether you're a civilian or whether you're in the military, I think those opportunities still exist. To Mike's point that he just made, if you're an individual and you go out there and, and you're seeing that you're in a toxic environment, you feel like you can't make any control around you, well, then at least have an influence over the five people that you do have influence over, which you should have at least a sphere of influence of at least five people around you that you can help then to make a difference in their lives, make a difference in your own life, you know, along the way, work on trying to hone your skills and your knowledge and expertise where you're actually improving the things that you can control. You're showing your command that you're doing everything right. And if you're in a toxic environment, if you can't help the individual leave, Well, then you might be trying to find a way yourself to try to leave that environment, whether you're in, again, the military in a PCS situation or you're in the private sector and you're looking for a new job opportunity. But don't stay in those types of environments where it's very unhealthy. It's just not going to do any good for you. You know, I think we've overlooked the uh, the last option, Robert, where you just take that person outside and hit them with a brick. (laughs) (laughs) That is an option. Do we not do do we not do we not do that anymore? What's funny is back in the old days, you know, in the sixties and seventies, you'd have guys who would tell you that was the first thing that they did. Right? Remember the remember the barracks parties we used to have where we'd actually take a guy and cover him with a blanket and hit him with boots until he forgot about that idea, you know? Private private pile was a real concept. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. It It is. But you don't normally find those types of situations happen too often. Again, in the in the private sector, people are worried about still losing their their job, and in the military, they they're still worried about well whether you take the rank off, that person is still a leader. They can still influence whether or not you get busted, you get an Article Fifteen, whatever the case may be. So we tend to wait things out, don't we? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's delicate because you're right. There's the uh, there's the human element that is not in a, in a manual or a publication and that you can, you can do everything right and be quantitative in all your criticisms. But at the same time, if he or she's right in your email, it isn't, and he or she doesn't like you, um, you know, it's, it's a very real thing that you have to take in consideration because there's, it's personal. Um, that's why I say it, it takes a long time to, to out that person. <laughs> 